This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to AOA on this Thursday, January 13th. We've got a good show for you today. We're going to be talking to Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis here in segment two. We're going to review some of those numbers that came out yesterday in the World Agriculture Supply and Demand Reports, the quarterly grain stocks from USDA. We'll talk in segment three with Brian Ernest. He's the lead protein economist at CoBank. He's been keeping an eye on both the pork and the beef markets, as well as poultry and alternative proteins, also called fake meats. We get into all of that with Brian Ernest in segment three. And finally, at the end of the show, we're going to talk with Max Armstrong. He is freshly back from the American Farm Bureau Federation annual meeting in Atlanta. Had a chance to catch up with a lot of growers down there. We'll have that conversation with Max at the end of the show. But first, I'm excited to introduce a good friend of the program, a man who is no stranger to our airways, Mr. Donnell Rehagen. In the past, he's been introduced as the chairman of the National Biodiesel Board. But that name is changing. Donnell, tell us, what is the NBB changing its name to? Yeah, good morning, Mike. We're, we're very excited. Uh, we're going to be launching it officially next week at our conference in Vegas. And from that point forward, we will be known as Clean Fuels Alliance America. Why the name change here in 2022, Donnell? Well, we've been the National Biodiesel Board since uh, 1994 and have done a great deal of work over those years to build up this biodiesel industry. And a couple of years ago at the same conference in Tampa in 2020, we launched a vision that we wanted our industry to grow and that we would be a 6 billion gallon industry by 2030. So that's basically doubling in the size that it was at that time. And we would do that growth through three fuels, biodiesel, renewable diesel, and sustainable aviation fuel. So at that point in time, we started uh, researching and looking into the opportunity to maybe change our name to broaden the the brand, so to speak, uh, of our trade association. Donnell, since we're, we've got you here on the line, and these terms are becoming far more commonplace around the country, biodiesel, renewable diesel, and then sustainable aviation fluid, tell us what are the differences between those two, particularly biodiesel and renewable diesel? Yeah, well, let me start first with what's very common. The, the common things between all three of those fuels are they all use the same feedstocks. So they all, at this time, are using uh, so soybean oil, animal fats, used cooking oil, and then, of course, distiller's corn oil for methanol production. So they're all in that same family of fuels. Biodiesel and renewable diesel, uh, although they start with the same feedstock, there is a totally different production process. So if you think about uh, how crude oil is turned into diesel fuel, that's very similar to how soybean oil is turned into renewable diesel. Now, as you know, on the biodiesel side, it's a little more of a chemical process, right, that turns that soybean oil, strips out that glycerin, and turns that soybean oil into a really good, clean fuel. So there's a production process difference, but the feedstocks going in are, are exactly the same. Well, let's talk about that 6 billion gallons by 2030. That's a big number. Donnell, how has the industry gone? I, I assume you've made big strides here over the last two years with the amount of plant announcements and, and new participants in this space. Is Are we getting close? Well, we actually, we are um, probably much closer than our vision, which was by 2030, we would be a 6 billion gallon industry. So I fully expect us to reach a, a 6 billion gallon industry probably in the next three to four years. And a lot of that is because of these announcements you mentioned, announcements of some major oil players who are getting into the production of renewable diesel. And uh, again, that's one of the reasons for broadening the name of our organization. We're uh, a growing industry and we're growing in a lot of different areas of fuels not just in, in biodiesel. So those large, uh, those plants on the renewable diesel side are significantly larger than biodiesel plants. And so where on a biodiesel side, you're looking at typical plant size between 50 and 100 million gallons. On the renewable diesel side, they are multiple 100 million gallon plants typically, three, 400 million gallon a year plants. So very different scale. So we're excited about this growth and you were well on our way to that 6 billion gallons. On the policy front, Donnell, are there any policies from either the feds or the states that are really pushing this, uh, the biodiesel, renewable diesel push here in the country? 
Absolutely. You know, the push, not just at the federal level, you hear a lot of talk about climate and carbon reduction, but we're seeing the same thing at the state level. There's a number of states, particularly on the coasts, uh, that are undertaking their own policy development to reduce carbon in their transportation, their energy, their heating fuels. And so those two things coupled together are a huge driver, federal policy, state policy. But we also can't forget that the corporate policy is increasingly becoming more and more important as major companies uh, have their own carbon reduction goals. There's really not a way to reach those kind of goals without addressing the transportation of their products across the country. And so we're being brought into uh, those conversations as well with the, the Amazons and the Googles who are, who are trying to meet, meet some rather uh, stringent uh, carbon reduction goals they've set for themselves. Donnell, on the sustainable aviation fuel front, I've heard from both corn ethanol folks and soy, well, biodiesel, renewable diesel folks, that sustainable aviation fluid is a pretty exciting thing coming for the industry. Will it be using much soy or is it mainly a corn ethanol product? No, it it's a, absolutely would use a great deal of soy. I think soy uh, brings, a, brings a really consistent product to the marketplace. You have to realize, though, as well, that when you're, when you're looking at sustainable aviation fuel or renewable diesel, biodiesel, um, if your target is carbon reduction, carbon intensity, then some of the other feedstocks may bring more to the plate even than soybean oil does. So, but at the end of the day, we're seeing that the, this industry, biodiesel, renewable diesel, sustainable aviation fuel, all three of those fuels and the producers of them are going to depend disproportionately on soybean oil. It is the most prominent feedstock in this space. And so we're excited about these opportunities that are ahead of us. Donnell, I've heard this from a few folks, and I want your opinion. Do we grow enough beans to meet the demand, particularly if this 6 billion gallon target set by NBB is going to be achieved in 2025 rather than 2030? Yeah, I've always said, I, I think, uh, you know, that we probably grow enough beans here in the United States. We probably just don't crush enough of them. Um, so the oil is grown. It's just we don't have access domestically to all of that oil. And so we've seen these announcements uh, from the major crushers and others, um, as the investments that they're making into crush. And so hopefully that re results in more beans being crushed. Um, and so that we do have more access to more of that oil here domestically. Uh, but it's going to take all of that and more. So I certainly hope we'll see more soybeans being grown down, down the road as well as this industry grows and depends, as I said earlier, really depends on soybean oil to get it where it needs to be. Donnell, in the short term, are you hearing any uh, concerns from plants under construction that maybe with the cost of inputs, construction might have to slow down in 2022? Well, we have heard that, you know, the feedstock prices right now are, are not what folks were expecting when they made these announcements a couple of years ago about these plants. And so I think we're also, as I mentioned, we're seeing some folks who are not as familiar with the ag industry, primarily, you know, our friends in the, in the oil industry who are now getting into renewable diesel production. So they're jumping into uh, an area they're just not that familiar with. And so I think as they get more familiar, they get more comfortable, they understand the ups and downs of, of the markets on our side. And, and they respond. So I think we're going to be fine moving forward. That is good to hear. And it's good to have folks with a lot of experience in the ag sector helping guide these new entrants. Donnell Rehagen from the NBB, soon to be Clean Fuels Alliance America. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis will join us after the break. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com. 
youtube.com backslash field posts. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA moves along. We're going to be talking about yesterday's reports from the USDA. We had the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. We had the FSA acreage dropped on us from uh, from FSA. And we had the quarterly grain stocks come out. All big reports. The trade was watching closely. Joining me to help make sense of them is noted USDA skeptic, Darren Newsom. Darren, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me on again, Mike. You know, I know you're not a huge fan of USDA, especially the forward-looking <laughs> reports, but Darren, the trade was keeping an eye on them. Anything shocking in the WASD report yesterday? Yeah, number one, trade really wasn't keeping an eye on these things. We saw, you know, lackluster trade volume at best. I always find it interesting. It was, if everybody trades these things, nobody actually does. Um, really, the only numbers I think that folks had interest in, if there was anything at all, uh, might have been USDA's guess on South American production numbers uh, because we've seen the domestic, we've seen you know the services in Argentina and Brazil drastically reduce uh, you know their expectations uh, for uh, you know particularly particularly for so for soybean production in those two countries. And so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what USDA did. And you know it actually in in the WASDE report that you mentioned, we actually did see some reductions. Uh, I think they took uh, Argentina's uh, soybean production down by 3 million metric tons and, and Brazil down by 5 million metric tons. So, you know, basically this just fits with what the market's been telling us. We've got inverted uh, future spreads uh, out beyond the July 2022 uh, soybean contract. So no huge surprise, but, you know, USDA did move to get in line with maybe with what the reality of the situation is down in South America. Yeah, and you know we've been talking for two weeks really about the the shrinking crop there, particularly in southern Brazil and in Argentina. Darren, watching the trade today, we're seeing beans come off pretty hard. Are we getting some rain in the forecast down there in South America? You know, Mike, I, I should know. I, I have not run the traps of the of the uh, of the weather forecast right now. To me, I don't know that that's really what the issue is here. It's not a lot of commercial selling. 
volume isn't overly heavy and really you know talking with folks here in the united states you know in the in the northern hemisphere we're talking about mid-july if he gets some rain after the dramatic heat and dryness in argentina seems does it really make much difference i have to be honest i don't know the latest weather developments in south america i'm a little removed from weather departments right now so uh, but in the market looks like it. It just doesn't really feel like that's what's driving it here today. Well, Darren, I, I know you're a technical guy. You keep an eye on those charts. As you watch here, this March soybean contract, we're off you know, a little over 22 cents so far today. What are some of your downside targets you've got here in the soybeans, in the old crop? In March, uh, number one, you know, just on the short-term chart, We've got yesterday's low. We've got we've got Wednesday's low. You know, knee jerk reaction low sitting down there, thirteen sixty six and a half. If we take that out, you know, it's what's called a new four day low because you know we did that yesterday. We do it again today, and and all of a sudden, you know, this this contract March contract looked like it started or looks like it established a short term downtrend this past Monday as it completed a two day bearish reversal. So, you know, on a very short term time frame. That would be what I'm looking for, and if we draw, you know, we draw some target numbers in down there, you know, uh, if we take that out, already thirteen thirty to thirteen dollars even. So, you know, it could be a pretty good sell-off if it happens. It's going to mostly come from the non-commercial side, because again, fundamentally, the market's been telling us for a long time it's bullish, but what we have short-term is. The Brazilian harvest that is going on in central and, and northern Brazil putting bushels into the system already. That's why we're seeing a little bit of basis pressure here in the United States, a little bit of pressure on the nearby March-May future spread. So there are some Brazilian bushels coming into the system as we speak, and this could be what causes the short-term sell-off. After we get through the short-term sell-off, I, I assume the focus is going to turn to how big were the crops actually down in South America, Darren, and we just don't have the information for that yet, right? Yeah, and it's really not going to matter uh, because, you know, if we look further out here in the United States, you know, the May, July, even you go off into those weird July, August, and August, September spreads, which are very lightly traded and questionable at best, they're telling us that the commercial side pretty much is assuming the world's going to have to come back to the United States uh, at some point. Yes, we're a secondary supplier, but what it's saying is the major suppliers probably going to run tight to soybeans. Now, all that being said, you know, the, the really one of the one of the less funny, more interesting numbers from yesterday was, you know, WASDE num WASDE report left Brazilian exports unchanged at 94 million metric tons despite taking production down 5 million metric tons. So, you know, they're still saying Brazil is going to export a lot more soybeans than the US is the US is expected to. We'll see how all that plays out. Uh, right now, there's very few. You know, we got our latest uh, weekly export sales and shipments update, and there's less than 400 million bushels now of U.S. soybeans on the books for the marketing year 2021-22. So, it, it, it all everything seems to say, yeah, China's still comfortable with what's happening in Brazil, but the reality is they're probably going to have to come back and start buying from the U.S. at some point. All right, we'll keep an eye out for those purchases. Let's look over at the corn market. Darren, we have $6 in the rear view mirror now, at least in uh, the corn contracts. I've got pulled up here both old crop and, uh, well, well, December 22 is still 556. Darren, where do you see this corn market going from here? You know, I mean, corn's got its its uh, characteristic round number reliance and tested 590 here in the March uh, early. And we break that. You know, there's an old low sitting down there about 585. We take that out, but once we really break 590, the target probably becomes 580 and then 570. Is there a dramatic change fundamentally in corn? Absolutely not. It's still bullish. The uh, you know, same argument that we, we just you know made for for soybeans. Uh, basis is strong. Spreads are bullish, and all this sort of thing. You know, what could happen in here is, you know, there's getting to be some nervousness in on the investment side and in the corn market. I think it's more boredom than anything else. There's just really nothing for them to get excited about in corn right now. They know long-term supply and demand is bullish, and so they'll they'll buy back in at some point. But for now, they can take their money and move it else. Uh, you know, so that might cause a little bit of a, a liquidation sell-off in here for a short term. And 
get this market under pressure, say for the rest of winter, maybe early spring, we get into planting season and, and all the thing, and you know, all bets are off, things start to change again. They certainly do. We'll have lots of discussions as we get into planting season. Darren, as you look ahead to planting season, though, well, I got you on the line, given the, the numbers that we're looking at right now, given the input cost challenges that growers are facing across the country, do you have a feel on acreage mix for this next year yet? Nope. The only thing I know is that uh, market doesn't think there's going to be enough of either corn or soybeans. You know, it all comes down to it's not just the cost of nitrogen, fertilizer, and chemicals. It's going to be the availability. I mean, with uh, each passing day, we hear more stories about uh, Chinese ports shutting down. You know, is nitrogen fertilizer even going to be available uh, this coming spring? And I think that offsets the argument, well, you know, U.S. producers will pay a little more uh, for nitrogen just so they can continue to plant corn. If we factor in the fact that it may just not be there, maybe that changes the equation. Right now, you know, if we look at the much talked about uh, November bean, December corn spread, it's been favoring corn for much of the last six months going back to the beginning of September. But as we make our way through the midpoint of winter here at, uh, in mid-January, all of a sudden, it's moving back to neutral. So soybeans are now stepping up and trying to buy, you know, trying to make sure they don't lose acres. And the market realizes, you know, we, we have to have more acres of both. But at the same time, cotton is skyrocketing, so it's going to be in the hunt. We've got spring wheat, which would like to get some acres, probably won't based on, you know, it depends on the moisture in the northern plains. It's going to be quite the situation uh, as we finish off winter and head into spring. Well, you mentioned spring wheat there, and yeah, it is is struggling here a little north of $9 right now. Darren, let's talk about Chicago wheat. Where do you see that market going? Mm -hmm. The Chicago wheat market is real. fundamentally mixed. We've got basis that you could consi consider bearish as the Commodity National Basis Index continues to run below its previous five-year lows. So yeah, that's not a good look. Some of that has to do with the market still relatively high-priced. Future spreads, though, are bullish. So it's telling us that the, that the overall situation in wheat, you know, is we're still looking at a tight supply and demand situation. Then you have to expand this thing off globally. Okay, the U.S. dollar is crashing right now. We get that. Uh, it should be providing more support to wheat, but it really isn't because there's just no demand. The question is, what's going to happen with Russia, Ukraine, and NATO? I think that's the big thing. Uh, for Chicago, and that certainly seems to be what traders will be watching. Keep an eye on that a border between Ukraine and Russia. Things could get hot there, could move the market. Darren Newsom of Newsom Analysis, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. And folks, stay with us when AOA returns. We'll talk with Brian Ernest of Cobank about protein markets. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up i choose the roundup ready extend crop system because i know they've got my back their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications if i experience less than commercially acceptable performance i'm eligible for up to 18 dollars per acre on additional applications that's a system i can depend on Roundup Ready Extend Crop System. See program details at SprayEarlyGuarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, USDA's January set of crop reports was relatively uneventful for the most part yesterday. The most significant market-moving surprise focused on the winter wheat seedings report that found more planted soft red winter wheat acres than expected. That triggered more selling in the winter wheat markets, which were already struggling under bearish chart signals. 
The corn and soybean markets are in focus now on South American weather, which shows some signs of improvement, but the rains will not solve the problems. Weekly export shipments will also increasingly become the focus, especially for soybeans. As we work through our morning, we see that soybeans are under some heavy pressure right now, and that is pulling corn and wheat lower as we get beneficial rains expected in southern Brazil and Argentina starting this weekend. That is something to watch very, very closely. Meantime, over on the livestock side, now that we have digested the weekly export sales and shipment numbers, which were okay, we see mixed action in cattle and hogs. Right now, March corn down eight and a half, five ninety and a half. May corn down eight and a half, five ninety two and a quarter. January soybeans twenty one and a quarter lower, thirteen seventy. March beans down twenty three at thirteen seventy six and a quarter. March bean meal down nine ninety a ton, four oh six thirty. March bean oil down forty seven points at fifty eight ninety. March Chicago wheat eight and a half lower, seven forty nine and a quarter. March Kansas City wheat down eleven and a half at seven sixty six and a half. Minneapolis spring wheat for March five lower, nine fifteen and a half. March oats down twenty and a half, six twenty five and a half. February live cattle up thirty five, one thirty six ninety two. April up twenty two, one forty seventy five. January feeder cattle down ten, one sixty one seventy seven. February lean hogs eighty lower, seventy eight oh five. And April down forty two. At eighty four ninety seven, crude oil down eight cents a barrel, eighty two fifty six. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. That's the check of the market trade. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there. What about jobs? No. Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months, and even more stuff. But still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking for the past two days about inflation. The BLS released their CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and it is up over 7%. And a big part of that inflationary push over this past year has been food. In particular, it's been meat. Brian Ernest is the lead economist for animal protein at CoBank, and he keeps a close eye on this space. Brian, meat inflation going to be a hot issue throughout 2022? Uh, well, thanks for having me on, Mike. I, um, you know, I, I've been watching the markets, really looking at the meat sector. Um, and, you know, the, the producers have taken on quite a bit of inflation here over the last year and a half. Um, and, and certainly, you know, we've seen rising meat prices as a result of um, the disruptions at the plants, um, but also some really strong demand that's worked its way into the markets. And it, it hit the, the market at a key time. Um, you know, think about some seasonality in the meat markets and um, springtime last year in 2021, um, we saw a reopening or easing of dining restrictions. And that teamed up with what is typically a really strong period for disappearance for uh, for retail. Folks are, you know, uh, dusting off their grills again and uh, getting ready for backyard barbecues. And, and you know, that really um, uh, kind of pulled together at a time uh, where we had very, very tight supplies. So we've had a run of, of just, uh, you know, very tight market con- conditions, um, some strong volatility. And that continues, uh, I think, into 2022. Um, certainly some, um, you know, uncertainty about the amount of, of meat that's going to be available. Um, right now, the Omicron variant seems like it's uh, it's taken uh, front of mind again at, at, at meat plants and 
um, you know, certainly there's there's some concern there with uh, what what can be processed and how much we can have available. So, uh, you know, no sh no shortage of challenges for uh, for the meat uh, producers here in 2022. Well, that's the truth. And Brian, it sounds like the meats are going to be impacted separately. Beef has entirely separate market fundamentals than pork does, and pork is entirely separate from broiler, and all of that is separate from the fake meat categories, which you know still seem to be out there floating around in the news. So let's talk beef first and foremost. Brian, we saw that tight squeeze in the beef market. We saw that massive price acceleration through early 2021. Are we seeing the Packers look at their record profits over this past year and pour money into expansion? Well, there, you know, that's um, it's a good question. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that the Packers are, are um, looking for, you know, large uh, capacity expansion. Um, we may see a couple new plants come out in the next couple of years, um, but not necessarily the scale that uh, or the scope that what we have in the system right now. Um, and one of the things limiting that is when you look at the cattle herd, it's it's actually in a, um, a cyclical uh, decline at the moment. Um, so, uh, you know, if you think about the long term view of of um, cattle production, um, there's there's typically about a seven year cycle where you've got a a peak and a trough of of availability there. So, um, you know we're we're set for tighter cattle supplies in 2022. Um, you know we've had some capacity constraints in 2021 that showed up um, largely due to some labor constraints, but um, you know they worked the plants very hard. Uh, we 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 hit a record amount of uh, Saturday kills I think in 2021. So um, you know they they still are working those plants very hard. So uh, certainly there's there's opportunity there I think. Um, you know and and um, as we're seeing a better quality or a higher quality beef come out of these plants uh, through genetics, there's there's opportunity through marketing for uh, maybe some niche processors to make their way into the market as well. Yeah, it certainly will. And when we think about the growth path, Brian, of the pork market hit a little stumbling block here on January 1st, Proposition 12 in California mandating larger farrowing stalls, basically getting rid of farrowing stalls, I should say, took effect. Brian, this could have a massive impact on the pork market across the country. What do you at CoBank anticipate if Prop 12 stays in effect here and uh, does become law? Um, it, you know, it, it does have potential to be uh, a disruptor in, in 2022. Um, and, and I think, uh, you know, the, the big question is um, how much does it affect uh, in the disappearance side of the equation? Uh, from a consumer standpoint, Californians are likely going to have, uh, you know, less pork to consume and higher prices on, on what they are consuming. Uh, the rest of the country likely going to see, um, you know, uh, you know, more pork availability, but that's kind of in question too. I've been watching the ex or the trade situation, and um, it looks like uh, you know ex imports of pork have risen in the last couple of months. I've I'm, I'm, uh, got some questions out in the industry on that, but um, you know, for the most part, it looks like uh, you know we're we're keeping supplies very very tight. Um, and the, the pork producer looks like they're in a, a pretty good position here coming into the or, or starting off in the new year. Brian, that news about the pork imports growing, I mean, that is surprising considering pork exports have been so strong over this past year. What is the industry chatter? What, why, why were imports going up over the past couple months? Well, one of the things is there's there's a significant amount of the, the pork that um, uh, makes its way to Mexico from, from U.S. producers. And um, typically it's it's got a bone-in form. And, uh, you know, the, the lack of labor to, to work um, the pork down into a form that uh, is, is consumer-ready for U.S., um, you know, really has has been a part of this this tight labor situation. So, um, you know, I think that has a little bit to do with it. And, um, you know, certainly with, with the labor shortages widespread, um, I think the pork industry is suffering a little bit more than uh, the other two uh, uh, top proteins. So um, that, that likely is going to continue here. Uh, especially with with um, uh, you know this this COVID variant uh, continuing to disrupt the amount of of workers available for these plants. So you mentioned that labor issue there. So if I understand you right, what happened was hog processors in the U.S. at the plants were killing the hogs, processing the bare minimum, and then shipping out bone-in cuts for further processing. And now we might be bringing those cuts f further processed back into this country. Is that is that how you see the imports uh, playing out in the pork side? 
at least a portion of it. It, it, it appears to be that way. I, I haven't really dug that deep into the cuts yet, but um, at least a little bit of that seems to be uh, getting scared out. Interesting. You know, we talk a lot on this show about the beef and pork markets. Obviously, we've got a lot of listeners who are raising both. We don't talk all that much, Brian, about the poultry market. And poultry meat, of course, is hugely important in the protein ration of Americans. Fill us in. How did the poultry industry fare throughout the pandemic and looking ahead through 2022? I, uh, You know, there, there's been a couple surprises there. Um, and, and one of those, I think, was wings during the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I was kind of looking at the industry in 2020. Uh, March Madness was was basically canceled, right? Uh, and that's that's kind of peak disappearance for for wings. And um, you know, you think about social gatherings and and folks uh, distancing themselves, and and they're probably not gathering around a bowl of wings, you know, like they usually are, right? Uh, but just the opposite effect happened. We we saw more people eating eating wings and and gravitating towards, um, you know, comfort food that was was um, uh, very easily consumable, um, very easily uh, taken taken from the restaurant to home to consume, um, and and that's something that the the uh, the industry has seen a very uh, very strong demand and, and disappearance. Uh, uh, really steady from from the onset of the the 2020 or the March area in, in 2020. Um, on top of that, uh, last year um, the food service industry and specifically the quick service portion of the industry um, introduced a, a a plethora of new chicken sandwiches, um, which rely heavily on on breast meat. And um, you know those portions uh, really really um, emulated with the consumer they. Uh, they've gravitated that way, and um, we've seen uh, more widespread um, advertisement, limited limited time offerings, and that sort of thing in the the chicken sandwich. So it's it's almost a reentrant of this quote unquote chicken sandwich war that occurred last year. So the question is, in 2022, what's the driver? Um, and at this point, it doesn't really appear that there needs to be one um, for the chicken industry if they can kind of continue to keep things going the way they are. Um, I, I see disappearance uh, really keeping up with, with supply uh, because the supply side of the equation um, doesn't look like it's going to change all that much. We're, we're kind of looking for uh, maybe moderate output with 2021 levels, uh, maybe a little bit of an uptick in the back half of the year for, uh, for the broiler industry. It was incredible to see those chicken sandwich wars kick off and every fast food chain and their brother rush to get a chicken sandwich out into the market. Brian, we also saw a lot of enthusiasm during the pandemic, really 2020, about fake meat, imitation meat products. I don't know what they call themselves now anymore. But that whole side of the segment, plant-based protein, Brian, do you see it continuing to grow throughout 2022? Or was this just a flash in the pan and the folks that want to eat uh, imitation meat are going to find it and it's a small part of the market? What, what do you think? Um, I, I think this was a, it, it seems to be a, a, a good mover at, uh, at food service. You know, if you're um, out with friends or in a group um, and there's, there's one in the group that doesn't necessarily want meat, um, at least it's there for them as an option, right? Or uh, if an odd day you want to uh, try something a little bit different that you haven't had before. So, um, you know, somewhat of a, an item that, that gravitates towards a consumer who's open to new things and, and wants to, um, you know, look at a, a different center of the plate option. Uh, in that respect, uh, the, uh, you know, if you think about a meat item itself, it, it, they can be very creative um, in the way that they present uh, an offering. Um, and with that respect, I think there's opportunity for marketing. Um, so, you know, overall, in the grand scheme of things, it looks like there's potential for growth. Uh, does it really eat into uh, disappearance, uh, you know, in, in the, the traditional meat settings, looking at red meat and, and poultry? Um, it doesn't look like all, all that much. It, it looks like it kind of works along the side of it, at least in the near term. Brian Ernest of CoBank, the lead economist for Animal Protein. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us, Brian. All right. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. 
Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track, no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $18 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system. See program details at sprayearlyguarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com. Today, more than posts. 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, Call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. 
This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, everybody. Winter time, as we all know, is the time in agriculture when growers get together. We join up, have meetings, get caught up on what's happening in our backyard and around the world. And one man who gets to a lot of farm meetings every single year is Mr. Max Armstrong, the host of This Week in Agribusiness on RFD TV. Max, you were down in Atlanta for the American Farm Bureau Federation. How was the crowd? You know, it wasn't bad. Like, it was pretty good, actually. Uh, you know, all things considered. Clearly, it was down from what you would normally see at the Farm Bureau meeting. And I think some of the folks did have travel uh, plans that had to get a little bit sidetracked simply because of airline cancellations. But many people drive in for that meeting every year and there was good attendance, I think, from all over the country. We saw people in there that we knew from across the U.S. That is always a fun thing about getting together with everybody's connecting with those folks, yeah. especially now you haven't seen for a while. Well, it's old home week. Of course, I worked for Farm Bureau at one time in, in the state of Illinois right out of college. So many of those people I've, uh, I've maintained contact with over the years. You've got deep roots with the organization, Max. And I want to ask you, while you were down there talking to farmers, what were you hearing? What are the concerns that are coming out of the ground from across the country? Man, I think the thing that came out, regardless of what state Farm Bureau president you were talking to, was the worry about inputs. You know, what are we going to do in terms of having the fertilizer that's needed and the availability and cost of crop protection chemicals too. And nobody had the magic answer. A lot of concern about that, just uh, what kind of situation we'll face come uh, planting time, which, you know, for some of your listeners is coming quickly. It is. I mean, it's just around the corner. And Max, as you were thinking about uh, the spirits at an event like the Farm Bureau annual meeting, obviously they're usually high this year, though. As you mentioned, we've got frustration with supply lines. We've got prices that are all over the board on everything right now. How was how was the overall attitude? You know, generally pretty good, I would say. There are all those concerns. There's no doubt about it. And Farm Bureau did devote some attention once again to mental wellness. There was a panel on that subject. And so they're they're addressing this. Uh, they're thinking about it a lot. They're encouraging people to talk with each other. They're training some people who can counsel others and watch for those signs of, of concern there and, and those who aren't doing as well uh, mentally right now. And that can include many of us. Yeah. Max Armstrong. <laughs> For sure. I mean, it has been a really tough two years for a lot of people, particularly if they're trying to school their kids and do work on the farm. It's been frustrating. I, I want to ask you, you know, as we're thinking about policies and how they impact people, Farm Bureau for several years had the president, President Trump, in person at the events. They had a very good relationship with the, the Trump administration on a lot of different regards. You speak to a lot of leadership. How do they feel about the Biden administration? Is there a, a, a friendship blossoming between Farm Bureau and uh, the Biden team? Zippy Duval, president of American Farm Bureau, said they are pleased that they have been able to work with people in the administration and in Congress. He said there are those that they've, they've been able to talk to and work with. So I took that as an encouraging word. The president of the United States did address Farm Bureau members via video recording. Okay. And he, he singled out, in fact, uh, the uh, Delaware Farm Bureau president, Richard Wilkins, past president of the American uh, Soybean Association, mentioned him specifically. So it was uh, it was interesting. And not only was the president there via video, the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, was there in person. Oh. And his predecessor, Sonny Perdue, was there in person. So have you I, ever have you ever, Max, been to a convention where they had both the past and current uh, Secretary of Ag? I don't think so. Now that you ask, I've been at a lot of AFBF conventions over the years, but I don't think we've had two there at the same time. Well, that's pretty neat. I'm glad they're getting that kind of feedback from this administration, positive words. On the policy front, Max, were there any American Farm Bureau policies that came out that you thought uh, stuck out to you? I don't think so. I think everything, you know, was uh, what I anticipated anyway. Obviously, Waters of the United yeah. States is way up on that list. A lot of concern about that. Uh, certainly the writing of the Farm Bill coming fairly soon. Yeah, uh, this year we're going to probably get started. Well, what do they think? Do you think we'll see some action on that before the, the, the midterms or will it all come after? I think they want to have some hearings in advance of that. Senator Marshall visited with us. Uh, Kansas Senator Marshall was there prior to his encounter uh, with Dr. Fauci this week. And uh, he was talking about uh, already listening to farmers and ranchers and gathering input about changes or things that should stay the same in the farm bill. 
That's good news, Max. You know, one of the things I hear a lot about from from my friends on the cattle production side is the meat packing space. Obviously, the Biden team released their their meat action plan for competition. Was there much discussion just amongst the the members uh, sitting around the water cooler about that issue? You bet, quite a bit of it. Those folks in cattle country certainly concerned about it, and they did address that in policy. I can't quote for you exactly. Well, what they did, Farm, Farm Bureau policy gets pretty extensive, as you notice. It's not like reading if you want to sit down and look at the right. AFBF policy book, as some people do. That's uh, right. And it's a good thing to read, you know, before bed. Yeah, yes, exactly. yes. It's it's a lot of information. It's a lot of thought. And it's the grassroots. What I like about the Farm Bureau policy, and this is true, I think, of a lot of ag organizations, it comes from the ground. You know, so people are bringing in ideas to the meetings and they're getting together with their friends and developing it, Max, which is a great thing to see. You know, Farm Bureau long has bragged about that. And it, it merits. You know, certainly uh, being proud of because it does start at the county level. You know, yeah. some man or woman are out there on the tractor and they think, doggone it, this is something we need to address. And so they'll propose it to the county farm bureau president. He or she might take it to the state organization and they'll say, well, hey, this is a nationwide thing. This is our take on it here in Kansas or Iowa. Yeah, that's true. And Max, as you get ready here, winter is in full effect. Do you have any other farm meetings you're planning to get to or farm shows? Anything on the schedule? Well, you and I will both be at that Farm Futures Summit coming up next week. So we're looking forward to that. And then I'll be at the uh, Gifford, Illinois Farm Show and the Association of Indiana Soil and Water Conservation District. So we'll be on the move. Oh, yeah, that is. That is a busy, busy week ahead or busy months ahead, Max. I won their speech contest in, in Indiana 52 years ago. I'm going to bring the trophy back. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, very cool, Max. It's nice to have these things that circle back in on our lives, isn't it? And, and that pays off to be a pack right now. <laughs> it does. And Max, you got some footage and some interviews down there at the American Farm Bureau Federation that we'll be talking about this weekend on This Week in Agribusiness. We hope folks will join us all across the country on RFD TV and the websites of Farm Futures, Farm Progress, Wallace's Farmer, etc. Etc. They are all there, folks. Check that out. That's Max Armstrong, the co-host of This Week in Agribusiness. Max, thanks for joining us. And folks, tune in tomorrow. Stinson Dean, a lumber trader, will join us on the show to talk about the lumber market, which is getting volatile once again. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow on AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.